Hey, real quick, I just want to say something about next Sunday. Um, next Sunday, we're going to roll out for you uh, through our, our study of 1 Peter. We're going to combine what we've been examining the last three months walking through 1 Peter with now how do we take 1 Peter and place it into action. How do we take this from information and transformation, and how do we take words that were written uh, through God to Peter that he wrote to the early churches and to early believers, how do we take that information and then place that in the culture that we, in, we are in? And we're going to specifically give you opportunities to do that through the biggest holiday on our calendar. Even for those who aren't religious, it's on their calendar, and it's Christmas. And I know it sounds a little early to talk about Christmas next Sunday, but we are, all right? We're going to preview Christmas and talk about a season of sharing to prepare you for how do you share Jesus Christ this Christmas season? Because we know that the world is going to celebrate Christmas, but we want to make sure they're celebrating Christmas. Those that we are a part of their lives, we're going to make sure they celebrate Christmas in honor of Jesus Christ. And so really want you to be here next Sunday. We're anticipating just some incredible things going on. But tomorrow is an exciting day for us too. We have a team leaving for Guinea-Bissau, West Africa. It's a small country that we've been working with and God has called us to as a church about seven years ago. And we have sent multiple teams over the years, 20, 25 teams over the last seven years. And we've seen God do some incredible things through your generosity, through your faithfulness, through your dedication. Uh, And one of my most fulfilling moments in all of ministry, I've shared with you before, but in light of our scripture this morning, it just fits and it's just a, a beautiful picture to me. But one of my most fulfilling moments in ministry was standing in a stream in the middle of a, a region called Burintuma in, in Guinea-Bissau, West Africa, and having the opportunity to baptize a young man. And, and I have a copy of this picture um, in my office. It, it hangs right above my desk. It's just one of these moments that you have, and, and you're standing there, and you're just in the middle of it, and later on somebody gives you the picture, and, and you're just kind of in amazement that you got to be there. And what this picture is not just a a picture, it symbolizes and it represents a powerful moment. Because in this region, nobody had ever been baptized before. This guy was the first one in this region of the country to step into waters. He didn't even know me, hardly, all right? And, And people he had trusted in Jesus Christ before we come for a time of baptism. The water's high, which is only a couple weeks out of the year where you can do this. And so we go there and we baptize, and it was an amazing, amazing moment. But here's the heaviness of this picture. Here's the reality of baptism for this gentleman. For this gentleman to go back into his town and to acknowledge in an Islamic community that he had just trusted in Christ possibly could mean persecution. It could mean by stepping into these waters and and trusting in Jesus Christ as his Savior that he was acknowledging to his community that the faith that he listened to from his childhood that he turned to when he heard the truths of Jesus Christ could now leave him in abandonment from his family. And so when you go and share the gospel with people and share the good news with people in Guinea-Bissau, there's a weight there. There's a weight there of recognition, of realizing if, if this gentleman follows through with this, it's difficult. It's slightly different than when we do baptism here. 
We have baptism here, and, and we have a baptism that we roll into here, or if it's in the other room, and, and every once in a while, hopefully once a month, we have baptism, and man, we're excited, and we see baptism, and if it's an awesome morning, here's what takes place. No matter who it is, they've got family members that come in from out of town, and family members that go to another church, and they sit over here in the splash zone, all right, and they, man, they're so excited, and they cheer, and they go out to lunch afterwards, and they celebrate, They post pictures on Instagram and Facebook. This was my granddaughter, or this was my husband. I'm so proud of them. But in Guinea-Bissau, they would never take that picture and post it all over Instagram. They would never, it would be difficult for them to say, everybody in the village come, because in calling them to come, it would mean acknowledging Jesus Christ as your Savior, but also acknowledging to your community that you're stepping out of the norm. And so as we come to this passage this morning, where we acknowledge and we examine baptism, let let us be really clear. Baptism, as we're going to see today through this passage and through others in 1 Peter, is not an act that brings salvation, but an act that is a picture of obedience to Jesus Christ. I want to read this powerful passage of Scripture for you, verses 18 through 22, and then us wrestle through it together collectively. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey When God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of the dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, having been subjected to him. This week is a heavy week, but I believe in this passage of Scripture are promises that take us beyond this Tuesday. I believe they're promises, and again, a a refreshing realization to the early church, but also to us, what do we cling to in the middle of cultural shifts? What do we cling to when Christianity is now marginalized? How do we cling to? And he begins this by saying, Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he brings us to God. Baptism that we're going to see this morning reminds us of a few things. And I want us to walk through these carefully this morning. Baptism reminds us this. Our sin separates us from God. Our sin separates us from God. In the middle of verse 18, he says that he may bring us to God. In order to bring someone to someone, they are not with that person. And Peter says, in order for us to be brought to God, it's easy for us to see in this verse that Jesus Christ, his death, allows us, gives us the opportunity to be brought to God because our sin separates us from God. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear clearly throughout scripture it teaches us and shows us that our missing the mark of holiness separates us from god 
Church, we need the reminder in our lives that the death of Jesus Christ brings us into a relationship with him. The next thing we see in verse 18, I'll walk through a couple of these quickly. Verse 18 is this, Jesus Christ suffered on our behalf. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus Christ is our example of suffering. He's referring and linking two together. Verse 17 and 18. Verse 17 says, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than it is for doing evil. And so he's bringing together this picture of suffering. The realization of the early church is that following Jesus Christ, even when you're doing good, you're going to suffer. And hardships are going to come upon you. Now listen, if you've been waiting for a letter from the Apostle Peter, and he's rolling this out for you, how you live in culture, and then he says, hey, you're going to suffer. And your example for suffering is not you. It's not a friend in church. It's, your example of suffering is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, according to this passage, once and for all, Jesus did not have to pay for your sins twice or come back later on, or as we read in the Old Testament, come back every year and make an appeal to God and say, here he is again, here's another sacrifice. We were reading about this last night, and in one instance in Scripture, there was a king who brought an offering to the Lord of 120,000 sheep. That's a lot of offerings. I mean, you start thinking through, what do you do with 120,000 of anything? And Scripture says there was no longer the need for that offering to take place according to that system. Now Jesus Christ had suffered and had died and once and for all conquered sin and death. We've been singing about this this morning. We sang about it in the very first song. I want to see you just the way you are. Sin is broken, purchased by your blood. Lamb of God, who takes away the cares of the world. We've been proclaiming that this morning, that Jesus Christ is setting an example for us. Our sin separates us from God. But Jesus Christ suffered on our behalf. A very well-known hymn to most of us is It Is Well. And in this writing, without giving you the history, a, a beautiful story of who wrote this and in the circumstances, but we hear these words, My sin, oh, the bliss, of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. This morning, as we read through this incredibly heavy, difficult passage, I don't want us to get sidelined by all the little intricacies of this passage but I want us to focus on this overall picture here that we are separated from God. I want us to focus on that Jesus Christ suffered on our behalf once and for all. And I want us to see that our sin is separated, but Jesus Christ came as a payment for your sins and for mine. Now this is probably elementary to most of you in this room. You know this. You've heard this before. If you've been here more than three or four Sundays, you've heard this here. If you've been here three or four years, you've heard this a couple dozen, maybe a hundred times of this truth of our separation from God and our need for a Savior and Jesus Christ. But these people lived 
in the first group of people who had known and experienced the death and resurrection of Jesus themselves. Why in the world did they need this reminder? Why in the world did they need a reminder once again that they've sinned and once again that Jesus Christ suffered and died once and for all? You know why? Because they lived in a broken, sinful world just like you. And they would get to moments of despair and discouragement saying, I can't do this anymore. How do we stand for this faith? How do we acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? How do we make it? How do we have hope when our own country feels like it's going to tear itself apart in two days? Realize sin separates us from God. Recognize that Jesus Christ suffered and died for our sins. Verses 19 and 20, as we examine those just very briefly, verse 18 through 20, let me just back up and read all these together. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he brings us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey. We could really spend months wrestling through these verses, and I don't want us to become sidetracked. But I do want to say a quick summary for me in working through these is that Jesus Christ, upon his death, he proclaimed triumph over the spirits. A lot of discussion about who those were, how those were, imprisoned in death, and he went and proclaimed to them, not in salvation, but in declaring that he had conquered sin and death. But he continues, and he says, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. And so, man, we've got sin, we've got the suffering of Jesus Christ, and then all of a sudden he just goes, like, where do we go? We're back to Noah. How do we get all the way back to Noah? The ark was a magnificent story for us in our minds and our pictures in the Old Testament. Peter says, listen, the story of Noah was all about death to life. The story of Noah was all about obedience. The story of Noah is about a guy who who lived in a desert, who was called to build a boat. And not just a, a little boat, but an incredibly large boat of which people would mock and people would make fun of. And that ark would serve as a place for them to go. And when the floodwaters came, salvation from the flood would come. And it says in this passage that in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Likewise, when we respond to the calling of God and seek forgiveness, we respond in our congregation through baptism. And again, we talked about it early in the morning of the rejoicing in some areas when baptism takes place, but then also the secrecy that some baptisms take place in our world. But Peter says this, verse 21, baptism, which corresponds to this, what? this moment that we see him reference from Noah. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal from the dirt, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Baptism is a picture of death giving way to life through the grace of Jesus Christ. 
Baptism is a picture of death giving way to life through the grace of Jesus Christ. Now, it's important here, we see this one little phrase there, baptism now saves you. A a teaching of this, if we pull those few words out and we make that our entire doctrine of baptism, it's dangerous. Because elsewhere in Scripture, we see that baptism is a response to repentance. It is an action that we take of obedience set by Jesus Christ. We make the step of obedience in faith. It is a beautiful picture. And he goes on to qualify this statement, though. He says, baptism now saves you. He doesn't leave it alone. Not a removal from dirt from the body, but an expression of our repentance and our calling out to God. Baptism is a God-ordained expression of our crying out to God. He says, I appeal to you. He says, but as an appeal. I don't know the last time you've appealed for something where you've made a dedicated, firm commitment, a demanding request is an appeal. I made an appeal this week on Wednesday afternoon. I went to the dentist to get a crown. If you've never gotten a crown, you don't understand the significance of that moment. They went to put the permanent crown in, which means they took the temporary crown out. When they took the temporary crown out, it's luckily that I like my dentist because my first reaction was to punch him. It hurt so bad. And he, some of you are going, oh my goodness, he said punch them. It's okay. It's you know, a joke, all right? I wasn't going to punch him. It, was, it, it, thought, it went through my mind for a moment, but I didn't, all right? And so he puts the permanent one in. I drive from 103 exit to 102 exit, and by that point, my entire jaw and down my neck is hurting. I think this is not going right, so I drove back. I went in and I appealed to him, this is not going to work. And this was not a, hey, you think you could help me out. What I was really saying was, you're going to fix this, all right? I am appealing to you. I'm making a request. And so he said, hey, there's a guy in High Point. He can fix it this afternoon. You get to have a root canal. Ching, ching, all right? Dollar signs start going off. I'm driving. I'm talking to the receptionist. My mouth is killing me. You've never been here before. We're filling out the paperwork on, you know, on the phone. She's asking me all these questions. And all I want is somebody to fix my mouth. I walked in. He said, are you sure you want to do this today? I said, whatever you've got to do, fix this. And she said, you know the price? I said, Take my firstborn. (laughs) Take my car. Take my house. Just, I am appealing to you. You've got to fix this. Now, that is a, a use of exaggeration for you this morning, for you to rest and for you to see the beautiful picture that he's painting for you here. He says, listen, this is not about the removal of dirt. This is an appeal to God. This is a crying out, God, you, I have come to you. I have sought repentance, God. When I step into these baptism waters, I am crying out to you, God, save me. Let me spend eternity with you. Cleanse me. Change me. Redirect my life. Whatever you've got to do, God, I'll do it. However you've got to rearrange my life, I'll do it. An appeal is not something that someone casually just says, hey, you think you could do this for me? Hey, you think this? No, he says you're making an appeal to God for a good conscience, but listen how you're doing it. You're doing that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You're not doing this on your own power. 
We cannot come to a holy God and say, God, I'm appealing to you for you to work on my behalf. No, the work has already been done on your behalf through the death and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism is a beautiful picture of death giving way to life through the grace of Jesus Christ. Man, baptism is a picture of death giving way to life through the grace of Jesus Christ. And so we watch those videos of past moments in this congregation as we look for those moments in the future. Understand something. You are separated from God. Jesus Christ has suffered on your behalf. Baptism is a picture of death to life. It is a powerful picture of of the act of repentance and redemption that is taking place in your life. And I'm so glad past Monday or Tuesday of this week that, that I stand in that truth. That I stand in the realization that our sin separates us from God. That Jesus Christ suffered on our behalf. That baptism is a picture of death giving way to life through the grace of Jesus Christ. And that the resurrection of Jesus Christ conquered sin and death. Verse 22 is powerful. It says, Who has gone into heaven, speaking of Jesus, and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. Let me read that again in in light of all that's going on in our world. In case you're wondering who's in control, who has gone into heaven is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. When we sing in a few moments about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it should never become mundane to us. It should never become something that we say, oh, we've sung this song before. Oh, we've acknowledged this before. It should be fresh on our lips and our mind, myself included, every morning. That grace should be new. Why? Because I was dead in my sin. Because Jesus Christ suffered in my place and in yours. But he also set for us baptism, a beautiful picture of death giving way to life. And also for us to acknowledge that a resurrected Jesus Christ conquered sin and death. Last week we examined that some of us, all of us, are zealots for something. If you weren't here, you can go back and maybe walk through that confusing four minutes of what a zealot is and if you're zealful and if you're zealous, all right? But we're all zealous for something, And we could come up with a hundred things to be zealous for. We've been zealous this week for a 108-year-old tradition being broken in baseball. Right? We've been zealous for it. Yet do we proclaim with zeal and fervor the one event in history worthy of our zeal? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because that moment changed your eternity. That moment moved us from our sin separates us from God, that Jesus Christ suffered and died, that baptism is a picture of death giving way to life, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ conquered sin and death forever. And all authorities, Scripture tells us in verse 22, are under Him. Are we mundane and quiet about the message of Jesus? Because we know the story so well and we just know it, possibly? 
are we quiet about the story of Jesus because everybody knows it? That's not the answer. For me, I think the difficult reality is this, that we've forgotten the reality of what took place at the cross. That we let that slip out of our mind when days are going good and life seems to be rolling right along. We seem to let it slip away that we were separated from God, that Jesus Christ suffered and died and as our sins and that baptism is a picture of death giving way to life and that Jesus Christ is in his resurrection conquering sin and death. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The death and the resurrection of Jesus gives us hope. It brings freedom. It brings death to life. And again, many of us no longer take time to recognize that because most days things go along seemingly okay. But we've been given the charge as the church to proclaim that message, that truth, that hope, that reality of our sin separating us, our suffering Savior rescuing us, Baptism as an acknowledge, as a picture of that movement in our lives and the resurrection of Jesus conquering sin and death. I hope today, my prayer for today is this, that the next time you see baptism here, somewhere else, that in that moment, you are imagining your brokenness, your sinfulness, death, giving way to life. But greater still is that when you leave this place this morning, there's a part of you that cannot relinquish, the part of you that cannot walk out of here without anything else in your brain and in your mind and in your heart other than the facts that you were separated from God, that Jesus Christ suffered and died in your place. That baptism symbolizes this picture and that the resurrection of Jesus Christ conquers sin and death. We're going to sing a song in a few moments about the resurrection of Jesus. And it should be our anthem. Not this particular song, but any moment we have to glorify God through this picture of the resurrection. It should be a moment where we acknowledge in that moment, I'm appealing to you, God. I have appealed through the grace of Jesus Christ. I've appealed to you. I've come to you. I've sought you. I've asked for deliverance and you've moved on my behalf. I appeal to you, God. And I'm thankful for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I also know in this room this morning, there are those of you who have never trusted in Jesus Christ. You've never acknowledged your sinfulness. You've never acknowledged or laid claim to the truth that Jesus Christ suffered and died. You've never stepped forward into an act of obedience, of repentance, of acknowledging repentance through baptism. And today may be your opportunity to respond. To respond to the one message throughout the course of history that can change your daily life and change your eternity. Trust in Christ. Admit your sin. Trust in the Lord. Recognize the calling upon your life this morning. Let's rejoice, but also respond to him this morning.
Let's pray.